Welcome to Vineyard 61's weekly podcast. We hope you'll be inspired, challenged, and encouraged by this week's speaker. For previous messages, go to our website, vineyard61.org, or subscribe via iTunes or SoundCloud. Hi, all. Um, For those of you I've not met yet, I'm Shakira. And I'm what you might call a V61 COVID baby. So I joined V61 um, uh, online during the March 2020 lockdown. Um, (laughs) All the COVID babies. Um, And since then, I've really enjoyed getting to know some of you in person, uh, particularly in our uh, School of Kingdom Ministry course. A little plug for the course there. So uh, today's talk forms part of our Old Testament series. Last week, we had the wonderful Jono speak to us about Joshua and what we can learn through his wisdom, uh, courage, and faith in God. And today, I'm going to talk about another Old Testament heavyweight, Joseph. Now, I love the story of Joseph, um, in part because it's such a great story. So I was trying to think of how I might pitch it to Netflix, and I came up with this. Succession meets Green Mile, meets Extinction, or insert any other Hollywood disaster movie. So the story is action-packed, so I thought I might just recap it for us, um, for those of you that are not familiar with it. So the story starts with Joseph in Cana. Um, He's the favorite of his dad, and he shares a dream of him depicting ruling over his family, which gets his brothers annoyed, and they sell him into slavery. He then ends up in Egypt um, as a slave in Potiphar's house, But God's favor is upon him, and he really flourishes then. However, things go wrong because Potter's wife takes a liking to him. Joseph rejects her, and he ends up in prison. In prison, again, God's favor is present, and he becomes the right-hand man of the prison guard running the prison. And there he also interprets a dream of um, both the cupbearer and a baker. The the cupbearer lives the baker um, is executed. And Joseph also asks the cupbearer, remember me, but unfortunately he forgets him. Fast forward two years, Pharaoh has a dream that really troubles him. He sees seven fat cows grazing, doing well, and they're gobbled up by seven ugly cows. And then he sees seven ears of grain, all lovely, and then they're gobbled up by seven dried pieces of grain. Um, So he asks his astrologers and all these different people, no one can figure it out, and Joseph is summoned. And he interprets the dream, which is about seven years of harvest, followed by seven years of famine. Um, And then after that, Joseph is essentially accelerated and becomes second in command in Egypt, solves the day in terms of the famine, and is reconciled with his family. So the story has lots of plot twists. The themes of sibling rivalry and forgiveness, falsely accused and vindicated from slavery into freedom. And if you go a bit deeper into the question of what's God doing in the story, it's another example of God's enduring faithfulness to his people and his ability to make the impossible possible. So when I was asked to speak, I actually chose the book because I like the story of restoration and God turning things for good. However, as I prayed about the talk, I felt another theme rise up, and that theme is change or new seasons. 
So today I want to show to you how Joseph's life, his story, is a great example of how to partner with God in a new season, how to trust God, and how to navigate change. And I want to show you that Joseph does this in two ways. One, he lets God do the talking. And two, he releases the troubles of the past season to God. So why discuss new seasons? Well, I've been talking to some of you here, friends, family, even some of my colleagues, and I really get the sense that we're shifting seasons. Coming out of lockdown, some of us have moved homes, changed jobs, or are in process of thinking about new directions. And for me personally, I'm looking at some point to take a, new uh, take a sabbatical, so I'm not quite sure what the future holds. And change can make us feel anxious, so I think it's great that we have stories like Joseph to show us how God works during a transition. But even if the theme of change doesn't really like resonate with you, I'm kind of hoping that since all of us sort of run to the school calendar, that hopefully this talk will encourage you to pause and reflect in the August holidays and better prepare to partner with God in the autumn. So why is Joseph's life a good place to learn about change? So I counted in Genesis that he has five different homes. He also has five wardrobe changes, but I'm not going to talk about that. <laughs> um, so on the next slide, he starts life at 17 in Jacob's house. Potiphar's house, sorry, Potiphar's house is a slave. Then he ends up in prison. We know he, he spends at least two or three years then, and then goes into Pharaoh's palace at, thir sorry, Pharaoh's palace at 30. And finally, nine years later, he's actually reunited with his family. So where I'd like to pick up the story directly in our Bibles is actually Genesis four, chapter 41, verses 28 to 38. And just to set the scene, this is where Joseph is first summoned to the palace um, as Pharaoh is looking for someone to interpret his dream. And I've chosen this point because I think this is where in the story that Joseph really shows how to partner well with God in a new season. So it's Genesis uh, chapter four, uh, sorry, Genesis chapter 41, verses 28 to 38, for those who are looking uh, in their Bibles. God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. Seven years of great abundance are coming throughout the land of Egypt. But seven years of famine will follow them. Then all the abundance in Egypt will be forgotten and the famine will ravage the land. The abundance in the land will not be remembered because the famine that follows it will be so severe. The reason the dream was given to Pharaoh in two forms is that the matter has been firmly decided by God and God will do it soon. And now, let Pharaoh look for a discerning and wise man and put him in charge of the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh appoint commissioners over the land to take a fifth of the harvest during the seven years of abundance. They should collect all the food of these good years that are coming and store up the grain under the authority of Pharaoh to be kept in the cities for food. This food should be held in reserve for the country to be used during the seven years of famine that will come upon Egypt so that the country may not be ruined by the famine. The plan seemed good to Pharaoh and to all his officials. 
So Pharaoh asked him, can we find anyone like this man, one in whom is the Spirit of God? So what actually jumps out to me in this text is not the interpretation of the dream, but the plan. Now, I must caveat here, I'm a planner. Um, but what's incredible to me is that Joseph is forecasting global boom time and then global recession, but in the next breath, he shares a clear plan and a robust way of avoiding it. And I've actually broken out the plan in this slide here. So step one, he appoints a lead, he says, appoint a leader and recruit a team. Let Pharaoh look for a man who's discerning and wise. Let Pharaoh appoint commissioners. And then step two, he establishes a business plan, take a fifth of the harvest for Egypt during the seven years of abundance. And then step three is all about logistics. So collect all the food for these good years that are coming. And then step four is warehousing. So store up the grain under the authority of Pharaoh. And finally, step five is the food distribution plan. So for it to be held in reserve for the country to be used during the famine. And to bring this to life a bit more, this situation is really similar to what we're seeing today. So I, like, I picked up some news headlines. We've got apparently a heat wave again next week, and it's going to be more regular. Um, and then people are talking about, is there a recession coming? And of course, here today, we're asking the questions, what's the plan? What's the economic policy? But in this time, in Genesis, and just as an FYI, I think God can do this now too, um, no one's having to grapple with what to do. And I'd say that's because Joseph is letting God do the talking. And how do we know that God is speaking? Because immediately after Pharaoh says, can we find anyone like this man in whom is the spirit of God? So we find Pharaoh, who actually isn't someone who worships God, immediately recognizes that when he's listening to Joseph, he's listening to someone who's connected to God someone who's fully surrendered his voice, his whole self, to God. Can we find anyone like this man in whom is the Spirit of God? And that's why immediately after this passage, he appoints Joseph to second in command, and they're able to successfully navigate this change. There's also actually another uh, line in the text where I think Joseph himself is acknowledging that it's God who's speaking, who's doing the doing. When Pharaoh actually asks Joseph to interpret the dream, he says, I cannot do it, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. And I used to think here that he's being humble or like giving God the glory. And perhaps that's part of it. But could it be that he's also just fully surrendered himself, surrendered his voice to God? I also want to flag here that in the text we've just read, this moment isn't just a change of scene for Joseph from prison to palace, but it's an inflection point. Once Joseph has surrendered further to God, he's able to download the strategy from God, share that with Pharaoh, and this is the start of restoration for him. Letting God do the talking unlocks his freedom, takes him to second in command, and eventually reconciles him with his brothers and his father. 
So I guess my question for all of us today is how do you let God do the talking in your life? And it might not necessarily look like standing on a platform talking to Pharaoh. An example um, from my life would be about five years ago. So I was returning to work having just finished studying and I was evaluating two odd job options. And the first option was a role I understood, I'd done it before, and I've worked with most of the people before, and also the pay was better. Um, and then there was a second option, which not was good pay, the role was a bit undefined and I didn't really know the people. And so as you'd expect, my leaning was to the first option, notwithstanding the money, but also just because I knew the people and was familiar with what I was going into. But I prayed about it, and I really felt like God was leading me into this other option, which is now my current job. And it turned out to be a good choice, and the reason why was basically because of my boss. He's a very kind person, and under his leadership, I've just got a lot of freedom and ability to kind of flourish in a way that I wouldn't have. Um, and, and so for me, letting God do the talking was really kind of going with not the obvious option and, and following him. But I want to say letting God do the talking could be very different for you. Um, it could be the complete opposite. And I don't think also it necessarily needs to be a life-changing event, like changing jobs or starting a family. It could be something very simple, like prioritizing rest. So I can't tell you what the answer is, unfortunately. But what I do know is that the process of letting God do the talking is all really about prioritizing being in God's presence. And I feel like this quote um, from Pete Craig's book, Dirty Glory, says this most aptly. At transitional moments in life, God tests our hearts. Why? Because he knows that the choices we make at a crossroads determine our future direction and destiny. The priorities we establish in the gear change moments of life set our trajectory for years to come. And of course, the choices that matter most in life are not functional, strategic, or territorial, but relational. These are the times when God invites us to prioritize his presence very particularly. It's prioritizing God's presence, which helps us to become like Joseph, someone whom Pharaoh recognized had the spirit of God in him. So I wanna acknowledge here that letting God do the talking or take control isn't that easy. I've picked the climax in the story, but Joseph's path wasn't that straightforward. If you remember when he first interprets a dream, for the cupbearer in prison, he says, but when all goes well with you, remember me and show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. And I'd say that's Joseph trying actually to take control, trying to engineer his freedom because he's worried that God's forgotten him. But by the time he's in front of Pharaoh, Joseph has changed. He's further along in that process of surrender and so he doesn't just petition Pharaoh for his freedom after interpreting the dream, because he's actually surrendered to God and trusts the plans that God has for his life. 
The final part I want to talk to you about um, is releasing the troubles of the past season. And for this, I want to go to uh, another chapter, well, the same chapter, sorry, but another section of chapter 41, verses 51 to 55. And to give this uh, context again, this is during the seasons of harvest, and um, Joseph has now become the second in command over Egypt. Before the years of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph by Asenath, daughter of Potiphar, priest of On. Joseph named his firstborn Manasseh and said, it is because God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. The second son he named Ephraim and said, it is because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. So to be honest, I've never really paid that much attention to this part of the story, <laughs> um, particularly to the names that Joseph calls his son. But by calling his first son Manasseh, God has made me forget all my troubles. I think Joseph is making a statement here that he's released the trouble and the trauma of the past to God and is embracing the season that he's in. And I don't want to make light of this act um, and suggest that this is easy or quickly done. This was at some point during the seven years of harvest. And also, let's remember, Joseph has experienced legitimate traumas. He's been enslaved. And some of these traumas haven't been resolved yet. You know, he's still not reconciled with his family. But during those seven years of plenty, that phrase, God has made me, makes me believe he purposefully took his troubles to the Lord and he wrestled with it. And that was like an important part of his healing process. And then again, when he names his second son, Ephraim, God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. I think we see Joseph's perspective on the situation change even further. He's actually able to look up to God and to acknowledge his blessings, like having favor in the prison, like having a family now, despite not knowing actually when he will see his brothers again. I think actually this is like an Isaiah 61 moment, God creating beauty from ashes. So I was trying to look for an example for myself to give you. And to be honest, I don't actually have one. Because if I was being um, honest about my situation now, I think it's still a live process for me, releasing those troubles, and it might take some time. And that's just because the year's been quite difficult. I've had a couple of unexpected bereavements, some disappointments career-wise. But also, I've said before, I'm taking a sabbatical, and I know that I'm stepping into something good with God. And so for me, I guess what I'm saying is the process that I think I need to go through and that I'm wrestling with now is taking the troubles of this past season to God and working through it with him. But also giving thanks for the many blessings that he's given and done for me already, like getting me out of this pandemic. 
<laughs> but then thirdly, I think the other piece is always remembering that God is a God of the impossible. And even in this situation now when everything doesn't necessarily look perfect or right, he is a God who does restore and does redeem just as Joseph did. And so I'd encourage you this August just to reflect, um, just to think about any things, particularly during the challenges of COVID, that you need to release to God so that you're able to move on into this next season. Also in the backdrop of knowing that God is a loving father who wants to heal us, who wants to bless us. And so I'm going to invite the band up now. And in the following moments, I was praying about sort of what things should we pray on. And I think one of the key topics really is just protection and refreshment in this August season. For those of us that, you know, want to move deeper and be able to be in a space where we can really prioritize God's presence. And then I know there are others that have situations and... Um, things they may need to make decisions on, and we should really pray for them too. And finally, those of us that need to sort of release some of those things from the past. Um, but the final piece that or thought that I wanted to leave you on is that if Joseph is the playbook or the how-to guide on how to partner with God in the next season, I feel like Isaiah 43, verses 18 to 19 are the key verses or the cliff notes. Uh, so I thought I'd just read them now and maybe they're worth sort of meditating on later. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Tune in next week for another life-giving message from one of our Vineyard 61 speakers.